We're going to read a long passage this morning. This is the whole story of David and Goliath. It's a story that we we know generally that David kills the giant. Well, let's read slowly through this and let's see what we can learn this morning. Something we may not have ever seen before or something that we may have forgotten over the years. You follow along. Don't check out on me. Don't wander. Stay with the text this morning. You follow along as I read out out loud beginning in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succoth and Azah. And uh, Saul and his men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite from Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul into the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Elib, the firstborn, and next to him was Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days... Goliath the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. And see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting war cries. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked to them, behold, the champion 
of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and take away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab David's eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a word? He turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for David. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved toward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." 
And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine came, arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and took, stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew out his sheath and killed him and cut him off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shemaiah as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are you who hear it and obey it. This is a wonderful children's story that children always delight to hear for obvious reasons. This is actually, in all of the Bible, this is the longest story we have from the life of David. There is absolutely simply too much here for us to be able to look at it all in detail this morning. So this morning we're going to hit the high points. We're going to see if we can look at David and learn something from him to get some insight into who he is. Let's look at the historical context just real quickly. Let's look at Goliath. One of the unfortunate things about the uh, story is that we're told about the giant and they translated it from the original Hebrew, but then they still used Hebrew measurements. And so they tell us all these dimensions. They tell us these weights. And you read that and you're like, I have no idea how much that is, right? So let me tell you quickly what those numbers translate into. We don't know for sure, but the numbers translate to Goliath was somewhere between eight and nine feet tall. Now, he would have been wearing a helmet, and so we're not sure if if the helmet was included in that. But any way you slice it, he was a big boy. He was a giant. He wasn't just some little guy. Between eight and nine feet tall. In a world where most of the men were under six feet. So he had been a couple of feet taller than most of the men. The weight of the giant's armor, the weight of his armor was over 125 pounds. That's a lot. The spear that he carried had a a head on it, a metal head, that was between 15 and 16 pounds, just the tip of his spear. The point of telling us these dimensions, these sizes, is that we are to understand that he is an impressive soldier. And he is very impressed with himself. He believes that no one can take him on. And Israel shared his estimation. They didn't want to fight him. He was that big. 
Goliath fought for the Philistines. That is one of Israel's principal opponents of that day. If you want to know where they live, just look on the map. There are all the, the disputing that goes on today in Israel. Where the Palestinians live today is where the Philistines were back then. What do you see in this story? Some wonderful truths here. What do we learn in this story, though? What did David get right? As I read through this story, I don't see anything here where the writer tells us that David did anything wrong. Nothing. Now, as we read some other stories about David, he did some terrible things in some of the other stories. But in this story, we're not told anything negative about him at all. Let me give you four things this morning that we see in David that he got right. Number one, service. David's three older brothers were in the army and they were out on the battle line. David's father, Jesse, comes to him and says, why don't you take your brother some food? Take some to the commanders. And that was typical in that day. You would take a gift for the commander so that they would be good to your sons. David is a shepherd at that point, and dad says, go run some food. Be meals on wheels for your brothers. Okay? What do we learn from David? We learn service from this guy. It's only been seven days. Can I remind you where we were last week? What happened to David last week? Remember? He was anointed the king. He hadn't assumed the throne yet, but he has been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. And dad comes to him and says, take some cheese to your brothers. Had that been me, had that been you, we'd, are you kidding me? I am the king of Israel, right? I am not taking food to nobody, all right? David, even though he has been anointed king, is still practicing service. This is hugely important for us today. Why? Because number one, it's his obedience to his father's simple request to take some food to his brothers that actually gets him to the battle line. Had dad not done this, he would have been home watching the sheep, wouldn't even known about the battle. Can you not see the providential hand of God moving him to just the spot where he needed to be? But it was not just the providential hand of God that got him where God wanted him to be. It was his obedience to his father to do what many people would consider a menial task. Seriously, we can't send one of the servants to do this. I've got to go do this, right? How many of us in the church today are guilty of looking down on things in the church? Oh, I, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. Somebody's got to clean the toilets. Somebody's got to mop the floors. And many times it's that menial service that people don't want to get involved in. David is obedient to his father. You want to serve God? Great. Then get on some work clothes. Begin to do the things that other people might consider as menial. When we are faithful in little things, God will bless us with even greater things. The second thing we see about David in this story is not just his service, we see his courage. 
David gets to the battle line and he's like, who is this guy and who's going to go shut him up? I am tired of hearing what he has to say. David has courage in this situation. It's remarkable. There are battle lines there from the Israelite army with these professional soldiers. None of the professional soldiers wants to go up against this giant. You can see David spitting on his hands. Let's go, right? I'm ready right now. He has courage to do what none of the other men there were willing to do. David has already demonstrated his courage several times. He said, I killed a lion. I killed a bear, right? I can kill this guy too. He is not afraid at all. David kept his eyes focused on God. That's where his courage came from. He didn't look at the size of the enemy. He kept his eyes focused on the size of his God. And he wasn't worried at all. We look at the size of the enemy. We look at the size of the weapons and we're like, I ain't doing that. That's crazy. I'll get killed if I do that. We get frightened. But we were just reminded last week, remember, when David was anointed king, not to look at outward appearance. I don't care if he's eight feet tall, right? It's like David's like, doesn't matter, make him 12 feet tall. I can kill him too, right? He had courage because he remembered who his God was. In Psalm 27, don't look over there, but you can write down in your notes, you can look it up later. David wrote a number of the Psalms, most of them. In Psalm 27, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer is nobody. When you've got God on your side, there is nothing to be afraid of. But also notice that David did not walk in how his brothers saw him. His oldest brother, I don't like him. I don't know about you, but I don't like Eliab. David just shows up and he starts asking me, what's going on? Who is this guy? Why does he keep talking that way? And Eliab said, oh, I know why you're here. You just want to see some excitement. You're just here to see the battle. And then he said, Who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? Guys, you know what that means. This is trash talking. This is his way of putting down his little brother. What are you doing here? It was a put down. You aren't so hot, little shepherd boy, you punk. Right? What are you doing here? Then, when David goes to Saul... And says, hey, I want to I take this guy on. Saul says, you can't do that. You're just a kid. When he goes out to meet the giant for the first time, the giant's like, this is it? This is what you've got for me? You send a kid? David's courage is seen that he doesn't walk in how other people saw him. Other people saw him as just a punk kid. The Philistine is putting him down and mocking him. One of the easiest ways to get a Christian off track 
is through discouragement, Tony Evans reminds us. When we get discouraged, we get off track. And there is nobody there who's encouraging David, not one person. Did you notice that? David goes to this battle and everybody, he can't do it. You can see his brothers in the background taking bets. He's going to be killed. He's going to be killed, right? At least if they kill him, we'll make some money off of this deal, right, from betting against him. Nobody was betting for David. Even Saul at one point said, you know what? The Lord be with you. Oh, by the way, put on my armor. If you trust that the Lord's going to be with him, why, why are you putting your armor on him? David had nobody in his corner, and yet he's courageous. The king Saul is critical to understand this story because he's standing back and not doing what he was expected to do. As king, do you know where he was supposed to be? Right out front. It was his job to take on the giant. And when he got scared, what happened? Everybody else got scared too. They followed his lead. And we see that today. When leaders get scared, when leaders grow weak, other people are fearful too. But David did not fall into the trap of the way other people were seeing this situation. Look at verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of the giant. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine." David wanted to encourage the hearts of others, and the way he did that was volunteering to go himself. He wanted to strengthen the hearts of other people by getting at the front of the line and said, I'll go. How many times do we see people who try to encourage others, even as they're not willing to get in the fight themselves? You can't encourage somebody else from behind and push them out. You've got to be willing to get out in front and lead. And David said, let's go. I'll do it. David encourages others who have been discouraged for weeks, if you read the story. For over a month, David comes on the scene where all these people are discouraged, and he changes the situation because of his courage. Number three, we see his service, we see his courage, but we also see his humility. How was David able to stay humble in this situation? Look at verse 37. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He was able to stay humble in the same way that he was able to keep his courage. By keeping his eyes focused on God. How often... Do we see people who have done courageous things in the past only to lose their humility and to begin to take credit for what God did through them to take the credit for themselves? Look at what I did. Even after David's victories, he gave God the credit. Psalm 18, David said, For you, O God, equip me with the strength for battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. This is key. David is able to be courageous. He's able to be uh, humble because his focus on God. He never loses sight of that. 
His great confidence did not come from his ability or his past experiences. He said, I believe I'm going to win because God is going to go with me into this fight. Had he focused on his great slinging ability, he would have forgotten about God. Look at verse 26. David said, who is this uncircumcised, this unholy Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, for David, this was not just a physical battle. For him, this was spiritual. Because this is my God's honor that's on the line. And the Philistine was cursing David by his gods. And so this becomes a battle of the gods. The Philistine gods versus the God of Israel. David understood this was a spiritual, a theological issue here. We see David's courage. We see his humility. We see his service. But we also see here number four. David is a difference maker. David comes on a situation where for 40 days the army of Israel is frozen. They are not moving. And this punk kid comes on the scene And he changes everything. Because David is a difference maker. He makes a difference in this story. When it comes to actually doing things for God's kingdom, many of us have to look at our lives and say, you know what? I don't make a difference. Whether I show up or I don't show up, it won't matter. Because I don't do anything. I don't make a difference. That's what many people, if they're honest, will have to say. This situation with Goliath called for someone to stand up. To stand up for God. Not someone who would stand back hoping somebody else would do it. Hoping somebody else would take on the giant. We don't need people like that. David walked on that situation, walked on that scene, and he said, I can make a difference here. With God's help, that giant's going down. How many times in our lives do we see ourselves doing nothing? Because we see ourselves... We keep telling ourselves we can't do what God wants us to do. I'm not able to do that. Somebody else needs to do that. But how we see ourselves is critical for us to be able to do the work of God. We saw this last week. We've got to have the eyes to see that God can do something through us. The interesting thing, as you read this story and and you understand how they did warfare back then, David did not walk on the scene with his little sling and everybody say, what's that? One third of the army, a, a key part of the army, they had their archers, they had their foot soldiers, and they had slingers. They had professional slingers in that day in their army. 
I would not want to be one of those slingers after this battle. Did you hear what happened? Yeah. yeah. Were you there? Oh, yeah, I was there. I saw it. What? You were a slinger and you were there and you saw. Why didn't you take on the giant then? We're told in the Old Testament that some of the slingers in God's army were so good they could sling with either hand. That's pretty good. They had some good slingers there, but they lacked courage to go up against the giant. Eliab, David's brother, comes up to him and says, Why don't you go back home? We don't need you here, punk. Yeah, because you've been doing such a good job by yourself before I got here. For 40 days, the giant's been coming out here mocking you, and you've been doing nothing. David walks on the scene, and his brother says, why don't you go home? David is a difference maker. And what do we see? We see his cowardly brother trying to get him to leave. How did David get it so right this morning? So we look at this text. How did he get it so right? And the simple answer was given to us last week at the close of the story when he was anointed king. We're told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. How was David able to do it? Because the Spirit of God was on him. We're told at the end of the story last week, though, that the Spirit of God had left the first king, Saul, and had gone on to David. And boy, you are missing a huge part of this story if you don't see the contrast between the first king where the Spirit had left him and the future king where the Spirit came upon him. You see the king of Israel, Saul, standing there just wringing his hands. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you see David walk up and say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill that guy. That's because he has the Spirit of God upon him. And the one who has the Spirit of God on him is a difference maker. Quickly, what's our takeaway from the story? We've seen David. We've seen what he does has done right. What is our takeaway? What do we need to see in this story for us? Number one. Trust in God and not the weapons of war. David goes up against the giant. He says, yeah, 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 I see your big sword. I see your big spear. Big deal. I'm going to kill you anyway. Because God is going to use me to do it. David had great skill. He'd used that skill successfully in the past. But his ultimate trust was in God. And how many times in our lives when we find ourselves in trouble, when we have a problem, when we get afraid, we reach over and we grab the weapons of the world to fight the battle. Paul tells us in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 10, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, not physical. He said, our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. You see, this is a great children's story, but it's an even better story for us as adults 
Because how many of us today have been trusting our own weapons and feeling afraid rather than trusting God? One stone with faith is greater than all of the armor in all of the world. Trust God and not your own weapons. Number two, trust God and go forward. Look at verse 48 in our text. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He ran quickly, right? Everyone else wanted to run away. He ran quickly toward the battle. When you are trusting God and not your own armor, when you're trusting God and not your own skill, David's like, let's get this thing on, right? I don't know if he said it in Hebrew. I don't even know what it would be in Hebrew. But I think what he said when he shouted is, it's go time. Let's do this, right? And he runs up to the, to the Philistine without any fear. And the question is, what do you have to fear when you've got God on your side? When you're doing the work of God? How many of us stay at a distance, terrified to face our giant? We're told in the story that Goliath made his challenge that they'd send one man out. He did that twice a day for 40 days. That means for 80 times he walks out and says, come on, bring it. Let's go. And nobody would take the challenge. The army of Israel was frozen. How many of us today, if we're asked, we'll say, oh, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. But we're not moving forward. We're staying stuck where we are. If we are believers, then we have the Spirit of God in us. Therefore, we can face our fears and move forward to face the giants in our life. The work that God has called us to do. We're not talking about personal fears or personal challenges. We're talking about the will and the work of God. We can move forward in courage because we're trusting God. Number three, and you knew this one was coming. We need at New Life difference makers. People who will make a difference. You see, we've got enough people here already who don't make a difference. We don't need any more people to come to sit and watch others do the work. We need people who are going to be like David and say, you know what? I want to make a difference in the kingdom of God. It's not that we can't make a difference. It's that we choose to sit back and not make a difference. Have you reached a point in your life where you are comfortably not making a difference for God's kingdom? Sitting back watching while other people do the work that you could help with. When you look around the church and you see all the things that are going on, do you walk in here on Sundays and say, Oh, I see that happened, I didn't help. Oh, I see that happened, but I didn't help. Do you see all the things going on that you are not part of? Ministry after ministry that you watch others participate in, but you don't do anything. You see, I don't want to stand before God someday with no good answer to the question, why didn't you help fight the battles for me? 
What are you going to say to God when you stand before him and God says you had that knucklehead preacher tell you again and again that you ought to get on the battle line and do something for me and you sat back and watched while other people made a difference and you did nothing. What are you going to say to God? Why did you stand around and watch instead of fight? Just like David did. David moved forward. Why aren't we like him? And the story, it's unmistakable what the writer wants us to see. David is acting this way because he has the Spirit of God on him. And if you're a believer in Christ, so do you. We can be difference makers today. The question is, do you want to be a difference maker? Do you want to be on the battle line for God? What we see in this story is we can make a difference. Any one of those slingers could have done what David did, but they didn't. Are you sitting here today with your stone in your pocket? With your sling in your other pocket? Wanting somebody else to fight the battle for God. We can make a difference And what we see as we look at the life of David is he had a heart for God. He had the heart of God. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't care if I make a difference, then you don't have a heart like God's. You don't have a heart after God. You are not like David. If you don't care to make a difference for God, you've got a problem. But the exciting thing is, for those of us who do have the Spirit, who do believe in Christ, I want you to hear the call to action. You can make a difference. You. Everybody in your life might be saying you're nothing. God says, with my Spirit, you can make a difference. Let's pray.